Hello and welcome to episode six of Planty Planty Zuzu. Each week on this podcast, Connor adds one species of animal and I add one species of plant to our hypothetical zoo and botanical gardens called Planty Planty Zuzu. How's your uh, week been? (laughs) (laughs) My week has been good. What have I done? Have I done anything? Oh, I was up at Chester Zoo this weekend for my last ever youth board meeting. So I've been on the youth board there working up with Chester for three years and it was a bit of a farewell. So I had a fun but sad weekend. What about you? Well, over those three days that you heartlessly abandoned me, I disrupted my sleep pattern completely (laughs) because there was no one to tell me to go to bed. So I went to bed at three and then I went to bed at four. And then you came back, so it's okay. <laughs> Other than that, we, you and me, we went and saw Bird Girl, Maya Rose Craig. We did. We went and saw her, and mm. she gave a really good talk on all of her birding adventures around the world and all the cool birds she's seen. And I paid attention to the entire thing, which is incredibly novel. Honestly, there's maybe like not seven, like four people in the world that I've been able to do that for. And just randomly, Maya Rose Craig is mm. one of them. And I'm sure as hell not one of those, no, uh, as this not. podcast would attest to. I'm so good at tuning out. <laughs> I don't think I'm, yeah, easy peasy. But yes, yeah, so that's really good. She signed our little book. Yeah, it's really nice. Bird Girl, yeah. yeah. Shout out to Maya Rose Craig. Uh, if you've not read her book, Bird Girl, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, she talks about mental health of her family as well, doesn't she? Like that, her experiences with um, particularly her mum and, and how birding sort of helped them as a family. And so, yeah, it's really, really worth a read. Uh, I'm certainly enjoying the audiobook. Yeah, I learned a load about new birds uh, and a load of birds I've never heard of, many of which I might want to add to Planty Planty Zuzu. We should um, have her on here, get her to add a bird. She's too big for that. Uh, she is, is absolutely she? no chance. Uh, maybe one day we can, we can only, we can, really... we can but dream. I think we should do an episode one day where we just lean out of this window with a microphone <laughs> and just stop people on the street. Go, like, what's your favourite animal or plant? <laughs> and just see what they shout back and then we'll add it to Plants on Like one of those really annoying people on TikTok that yes. run up to other people with microphones. Like those men on YouTube, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be them, but we'll do it lazy. You just lean out our window. We could just effectively get this, but on a really long stick, like a boom mic. Yeah. Like, and hang a sign off it. Just say a plant name. <laughs> people go, plant lavender. Like, <laughs> So that's been nice. Uh, and then we also, we've had a very friend-based week. I had a couple of days with friends and uh, we had your friends from uni come and stay. Yeah, absolutely. So that was, delightful. yeah, that was really nice. We hung out with them, went for a nice roast. And we, but not you because you're at the youth board, but the rest of us went and saw Russell Howard. Yeah. One of my favourite comedians. Was he good? Yeah, it was actually. Got a bit political at one point and I was like, oh, I just... Don't want to think about politics ever at the comedy show. It, like I'm, al- I'm already on Twitter. That's enough. Yeah. I don't need to hear it anywhere else. <laughs> uh, but then he, I really like the comedy he does where he's just pointing out people's like idiosyncrasies and like you know what I mean. I don't know if that's the right context for that word. But pointing out like interesting things about people and how funny it is and like telling stories of his family and he did a lot of that. So it was really good. So yeah, that was lots of fun. And that's sort of been a whole week other than work. Yeah. Ah, Delightful. It's been quite a nice week. Yeah. Bab, so should we get started? I think, is it your turn to go first this week? It is, and I'm really excited about this one, because I actually changed what I was going to do. I was sort of going down one route for a while, and then... One route? But um, Then... I had an experience at a charity shop nearby 
the other day that made me change my plan because I was like, that's really funny. Oh. I keep making eye contact with people as they walk past. Don't do that then. I can't stop. We're recording a podcast. I can't help it. We're on a corner. They're everywhere. (laughs) So I, this week, am going to be adding to Planty Planty Suzu, Abris Precatorius, a.k.a. The rosary pea or the jaquirity bean, which is how I know it. Jaquirity bean. Do you know what I might be talking about? You've just told me what you might be talking about. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I'm glad to see that we've seen a return to form and you uh, have absolutely not Googled how to pronounce a scientific name. I know, I did it one <laughs> week and I was like, well, that's enough of that. <laughs> um, I thought that was good. It looked. The reason I didn't is because it looked like quite simple. I thought I nailed it. Abrus precatorius. Yeah, props. I mean, I... You don't know. I could say anything. This plant, Jaquirity bean, it's native to tropical areas of Asia, Australia and Africa, but has also been introduced to other parts of the world, including the Americas. It's got these beautiful seeds. They are all glossy, smooth. They have a bright red colour with a black spot on one end. So I've got some photos up to show you. So these are the beans slash seeds we'll be talking about. So they're proper red and shiny and you can see the black bit, like a little ladybug. They're adorable looking. Looks can be deceiving. (gasps) And then this is the leaf. It's just very pretty. Wow, those are really uniform leaves, like really satisfyingly uniform. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Um, Kind of look like ferny-like leaves, but like not splayed, like the way that they're arranged are like... It's, I always find it crazy seeing things in nature like this where it's just, it's it's so organised. And I, you always view nature as quite chaotic and then you see stuff like that and you're like, yeah, that's that's in a line. Yeah, it's got a very satisfyingly like clean lines. Yeah, um, so that's a picture of it with the seed pods and the seeds and the leaves. And yeah, it's just a very attractive plant. I think important to remember maybe if in nature, if you see something that's bright red. Is it going to kill me? Yeah, that's it's a good thing to have in your head. So... The answer to this is yes. Uh, this one is going to kill you. How quickly? Within a few days. Oh, okay. Is that? I mean, I said that. I have no context for that. Is that relatively quick for a plant or is that slow for a plant? Well, the thing is, there's no antidote for this. Oh. So whether it's slow or quick is irrelevant. You're still dying. It's inevitable. Yeah. Whereas with others, it's, it's less. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll get into it uh, a little bit more. But basically, the seeds are extremely toxic. They contain a powerful poison called abrin. Now, I'm guessing you've probably not heard of Abrin. No. Have you heard of ricin? Yes. This is a lot more toxic than ricin. Oh. oh. <laughs> and it's a lot more toxic in a lot smaller amounts. Oh, okay. So it doesn't take as much to kill you. Yeah. So there's no known antidote. And ingestion of one of those single beans I told you can kill an adult if it's chewed. One one bean? One single one. If How you... big is one bean? About that big. <laughs> I know we're on a podcast, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, for so. context, that I say that's probably about one and a half to two millimetres tall. Not centimetres? No. I would say... Well, that that's bigger than it was before. 0.7 centimetres in length, so about the same as Connor's brain. Oh! <laughs> she got the jokes today. <laughs> that's me, jockey stuff. So yeah, if you chew that, it can kill an adult, so that's pretty scary. Its toxicity is primarily due to the abrin that we spoke about. So it's a protein that interferes with the synthesis of other proteins in cells and it leads to cell death so it's not a pleasant death symptoms include nausea vomiting diarrhea dehydration seizures liver failure kidney failure respiratory failure it's uh, deeply unpleasant it's making me really sad to talk about i think because of what my stories that i know i'm about to tell there's actually been cases of it being used to kill people in, or deliberately yeah 
So in Bengal, people would use it to kill cattle, so the neighbours' cattle, to skin them and things like that. What, they feed it to the cattle? No, or they like, um, they get crush it on it. a spike. Oh. Mm. Yeah, they do things to it, get it on a spike and stab the cow. But people would also murder with it. So there's, I think there were six cases reported Gee. in Bengal. Six separate cases or six cases of one person doing it to six people? I think separate, but... Damn. I only think separate because if it was one person, I feel like they would have mentioned that in the Wikipedia article that I read. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would have linked to serial killer. Yeah, that's fair. Deduction. So it's used in traditional medicine. It's mm-hmm. not really recommended that it's used in traditional medicine. <laughs> I mean, feels like the opposite of medicine. A bit risky, yeah. I think they, they heat treat it. So I'm guessing that disables some of the abrin or something. But people use it to treat fever, cough, asthma, bronchitis and snake bites, among other things. So did you know I've come into contact with this a lot? More than I would like to have. (laughs) So as well as being used in things like traditional medicine and murder, it's also used to make jewellery and decorative items. So handling the seeds can be dangerous and it should be done with extreme care, which I'm known for. (laughs) So you don't actually have to break open the seeds or anything. It's literally just holding the bean. And putting... Are you talking about making jewellery or what? As in, like, you said it can be dangerous just to hold it. Oh, so because of the thick shell on the outside, in theory, that's fine. It's just if there was a puncture in it or something like that, um, that's why you have to chew it for it to kill you. If you actually swallowed one whole, it would probably just... It would almost certainly just pass through your system. Okay. chewing that seed. So is the red and black thing... That's the outer shell. Yeah. And then you crack into that and that's the that's, deadly bit inside. Yeah, ab- abrin on the inside, yeah. Oh, okay. So if you, the red and black thing, you eat that, don't chew it, you're probably fine. Yeah. But if you bite into it, yeah. you're a goner. Yeah. Okay. There are reports of workers who pierce seeds uh, in order to thread them on jewellery. They can suffer poisoning or even death from a pinprick. So I read some article, okay, so there was a Daily Mail article talking about something and it was like... Workers frequently die from stabbing their seed. And then, like, but then I also read that there's not really been any papers or anything to back that up. So it's, it seems to sort of be like a bit of a word of mouth thing or like a, a thing that's known that people that make jewelry out of it, they, um, yeah, they'll stab the seed, they'll sometimes get a pinprick in themselves, and, you know, allegedly it's killed people. But there's no hard evidence, documented evidence. But the thing is, in a lot of places where they do this, there's, like, tribes in Peru and in the Americas and stuff that do this, it wouldn't necessarily be documented. So, yeah, it's not really a good idea to make jewellery with it. So, anyway, back when I was in Peru, I made jewellery with them. (laughs) (laughs) You... uh, (laughs) Wait, did that involve you... Pricking the... Oh, no. I very much pricked holes in jaquirity beans and threaded them to make pretty jewellery. How did you end up doing this? How was that a thing that came about? So I was uh, being a research assistant when I was 20 in Peru in the Amazon rainforest. And at one point we went to uh, sort of... I think we stayed with this local tribe overnight. It was a really great experience. We got to hear a lot about their culture and traditional medicine and just, yeah, meet new people. It was great. And one of the sort of activities that we did with them was making jewellery from these beads and seeds and beans and seeds and things. And the thing is, the majority of the time, it probably is fine for them to make jewellery from these beans. I don't know how to justify it. Because, yeah, it's a, it's the hard shell and they're not stabbing them. You don't regularly stab yourself, you know. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> 
had I known. So how did I find out that this was a chikuriti bean? That was literally going to be my next question. Say no more. So didn't know what they were. I was handling them, making holes in them, brought them back to the UK. Which, interesting side note, in the UK, it is a controlled substance under the Terrorism Act. Stephanie. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, Abrin is, which just happens to be in... (laughs) Please continue your story. I'm incredibly concerned about where this is going. I know. The thing is, as I was writing this, I was like, haha, this will be funny anecdotes. And then as I kept going, I was like, oh, this is really toxic. And then also... Some other stuff came to mind that I'm sure I'll mention in a minute. So I came back with my pretty jewellery. <laughs> and then shortly after, I think I've been Googling like what the different seeds were and everything. And I came across it and I found an article that came out in 2011, published by a few different news outlets, that jewellery made with these seeds have been found on sale at the Eden Project. So it had been sold there for about a year. And that was because there's a company in Suffolk that sort of distributed it, not just to the Eden Project, but to loads of other shops too. So innocent tourists and customers were just sort of buying these beaded necklaces that had been imported from overseas, which, um, you know, the company, I guess, just didn't look and yeah. check what they were. And it was only because, like, the Eden Project horticulturists that worked there were like, um, <laughs> this shouldn't be in here. <laughs> we shouldn't sell this. So don't worry, though. The Eden Project did a big recall and you got your money back. <laughs> <laughs> so that's fine. There's no reported death, so I feel like it's fine to laugh about it. So if you, uh, any listeners, still have one of those necklaces you bought from the Eden Project 10 years ago... Go get your money back. Go get your money back. Uh, get yeah. out of your house. Go get your money back. It's been a decade. I think it'll still be fine. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I made a note here that I can't actually be that rude about the company that did this because I did the same thing, really. Yeah, um, no, completely. But this is the thing that's happening is people are going overseas making pretty seed jewellery, not necessarily knowing what they're making it out of. Yeah. Um, so it is a, a hazard. But the other thing, the reason I decided to do this now on this episode is because I was strolling around a charity shop with your parents recently and uh, looked at the necklaces in one of them. I was like, oh my God, I recognise that. <laughs> it's a jacurity bean. And they had three necklaces made of sort of seeds and beans and two of those had the jacurity bean on them and they were hanging down really low like low enough for like a two-year-old to grab and oh, shove in their mouth no. i know so i i sort of i queued up the till waiting for people to check out and then was like um excuse me um just so you know <laughs> those are uh, those seeds up there highly toxic uh could kill a man so <laughs> i don't know if you want to take them <laughs> And she was like, oh, oh no, and like took it down. And then when I got home, I was like, oh, I should have told her to wash her hands. And I forgot. But I think she's probably fine. A bit late now, it's been like a couple of weeks. But yeah, so that was alarming. And when we went back in, I went, we, we stopped off in there and I went to check. They still had one necklace up, but it didn't have chakrity beans. But it sort of made me think, if they didn't know what was in the other one, <laughs> they probably don't know what's in that one. They should probably take them down. So this is my PSA to anyone that works in a charity shop or selling secondhand things. If you have something that looks like it's made of like beans and seeds and things like that, maybe talk to your your closest botanist or plant science friend and uh, check that it's not got the potential to kill anyone. Uh, that's probably a good idea. What do they grow in? Do they grow in a tree or a bush? Because you've shown me the leaves, you've shown me the, the, the beans. Yeah. Do they grow... It's a climber. So it twines around trees, shrubs and hedges. Oh, okay. Yeah. It is very pretty, very green and seed pods. You can see why they're used in jewellery. And yeah, I want to introduce some plant plays easy. Okay. Uh, follow-up question. 
Mm. How are you going to stop them killing our visitors? Well, this is the thing. Um, on my notes, uh, under the planty planty do section, I made one note. And it just says natural selection garden. Oh, no. So uh, oh, I was thinking we could have a garden that's called the natural selection garden. Why are you looking at me like that? This is a great idea. <laughs> Stop judging me. No, I'm, I'm going to hear you out. Okay. Natural selection garden does what it says on the tin. I was just thinking we could have all of our very deadly and toxic plants in there. And who lives, lives and who does. I'm not going to hear you out anymore. That's... <laughs> Survival of the fittest. From, from a narrative... Hunger Games, from a plant <laughs> perspective. From a narrative perspective, yeah. fantastic. Storytelling, immaculate. Yeah. Interpretation, brilliant. Yeah. Fab. From a visitor experience perspective, terrible idea. People like risk. Why do you think people go on roller coasters? It's the thrill. Will we live to tell the tale? You Roller coasters most often don't kill you. It's not that the garden will kill anyone, but I think if we call it natural selection garden, because I've been to botanical gardens where they do have deadly stuff and it's like, don't touch that, don't eat that. You're just going to have to make sure that it's far enough away from paths and things. You can have like a windy path through it or something, but make sure that there's no potential for it to lean over onto the path. Yeah, but then I went to Chelsea Physic Garden in London... And the guy literally pointed like a meter away down and was just like, "Yeah, don't don't eat that. That'll kill you." <laughs> like, you know, That's natural fair. selection garden. Would you put the gimpy gimpy in here as well? I was thinking that I would, but I think we still have the issue of um, so in a previous episode I added gimpy gimpy to plant plant zuzu, which is the stinging tree, very very painful, can't kill you, but causes you severe pain for a very long time and the problem with it is it shoots out its little stingers into the air as well so you can inhale them and that oh causes yeah issues. so that was the issue of ventilation which we had so that might be maybe an indoor part of natural selection garden because yeah. yeah i already said i wanted the enclosure to say like dangerous blah, blah, blah. and in terms of botanical gardens that have the jacquerity bean you'll be surprised to hear i couldn't find any <laughs> So that makes perfect sense. Plants, basically, I researched this and I thought it was so interesting. And the second I started talking about it on this podcast, I suddenly got really sad because I was like, nature is so scary. And like people have genuinely died from like just finding this, coming across it and eating it. I don't know. Just nature's scary. Don't eat things that you don't know. And even if you do know, you might be wrong. Don't do it. No more food. The end. This is the biggest killjoy of a podcast I've ever heard. I know. This <laughs> I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, so like I'm familiar with this happening. But I guess people tuning in wouldn't expect it from one called Planty Planty Zuzu. <laughs> Especially with our, our opening theme tune. <laughs> it's going to be really jaunty. So like, hey, guess how many ways this plant can kill you? Hey. Yeah, maybe in the next episode I'll move away from death plants. But I just thought that was particularly interesting because obviously you I came have done. It. I want to say, a disproportionate amount of plants that could kill you or other plants. Because we've now done Gimpy Gimpy, one yep. of the most painful trees out there. Yeah. The Jaquirity Bean, which can kill you. Yep. Um, The Strangler Fig, which thrives off the death of other plants. Yeah, but that's different. It's, you know, that's survival and it's not killing people. No, but it's... That's how I want to die, though. Plant a Strangler Fig on me. Do it now, so that when I get to 80, it will have uh, suffocated me. Jesus Christ. You know what, let's move on to yes, the next section. Yeah, I think it's my turn, isn't it? So yeah, that's me adding the Jacquerity bean to Planty Planty Zuzu. What a great addition in the natural selection garden, which is now two plants strong. Let's move on to yours. Fabulous. Thank you very much. Right, Fab, so now it is my turn. 
So I will be adding something, uh, an animal, this time to Planty Planty Zuzu. So this time, the animal I'm going to be adding can be taller than the average 11-year-old and sounds like a machine gun. What am I adding? Taller than and sounds like a machine gun. Uh, as in, they make the noise a machine gun. It's not their name sounds like a machine gun. Yeah, no. It's not no, like the AK-47 <laughs> frog. The Bluffine Flan. Is <laughs> it um, <laughs> <laughs> Is it a really tall bird? It is a really tall bird. Um, ostrich? No, it's less tall than that. It is one that Myros Craig mentioned in the talk Cassowary. we went to this week. No. I was going to say, I didn't hear that. Oh, the weird looking one. It's the weird looking one. Shoebill? Absolutely right. It's a shoebill. Yeah, well done. Sounds like a machine gun. We'll come on to that. Amazing. The, the shoe bell. I well, love those. They are fantastic. Ever since Just... I've seen photos of them, I'm like, I'd love to see that in the world or in the zoo. Oh, look at it. They are absolutely amazing. They're like so... big and grey and they're big beaks and it looks so frowny. Yeah, so they are really big, taller than the average 11 year old. So about, they get to about five feet tall oh. and their wingspan is even bigger. It's about eight feet, their wingspan. My goodness. Which is absolutely huge. They're called a shoe bill because they've got this huge big bilk that looks a little bit like the front of a kind of wooden clog. They've got these gorgeous grey feathers, so they're absolutely stunning. They've got these really long, like thin legs and really long, thin feet as well for helping them walk around on aquatic vegetation and stuff because they are mainly a swampy marshland bird. Um, they were once thought to be a stork because they kind of, you, you can see how a little bit stalky, they've got the long legs they like stand a stork. Up tall, um, yeah. But actually, they've been recently, I say recently, from since about the 50s, they've been taken out of the stork family, and we've worked out they're more closely related to pelicans and oh, herons, which again, you can kind of see. Yeah. got a shorter beak than a heron, but a, still a pretty impressive one. And their closest living relative is actually the hammer cop. Have you seen a hammer cop before? A policeman with a hammer. Hey. Hey. No. <laughs> to be. So we actually had one of these at Ooh. Bristol Zoo. You might not have ever seen it, I like it, to the be pointy fair. back of his head. Yeah, so they're really cool. They're also an African species, and the shoebill is endemic to Africa. You'll find it in a lot of the marshland throughout places like Sudan, Uganda, and Zambia. Because of that, that noise it made that we mentioned at the foot, in Zambia, the local name for it is really cool. It's called the Mapumambao, which means the one who drums on wood. Because they do this bill clacking, so they kind of shake the bottom and the top of their beak or their bill backwards and forth at different speeds, and it kind of clacks together. And that's how you get this kind of amazing machine gun type noise. And it's not fully understood about why they do it, but it seems to be used as part of a greeting to other shoe bills and part of their mating as well to kind of communicate with each other. And they are monogamous, which is really nice. So they will choose one partner and they will make their nests on all the floating vegetation stuff. So they can actually be about three metres deep because they'll just kind of build it up and as it sinks into the marsh and they'll keep building it up and building it up and building mm. it up. And their babies make a sound that is, I want to say, even more alarming than the noise of a machine gun. Because apparently when a, a young shoebill is trying to communicate with its parents, it makes a sound that sounds exactly like a human hiccuping. Oh. Yeah. It it makes me uneasy. <laughs> I, I hear that. I, I just imagine a tiny bird hiccuping like a human. And my hair stands on end. Yeah. It's, it sounds like something out of a, a creepy, like, thriller film. But it's really cool. We'll have to see if we can find uh, these sounds. On I the absolutely couldn't find any of the hiccuping, but I have found some of the machine gun ones. 
and that bill can be up to 25 centimeters long and it ends in a really really sharp kind of like nail right at the end you can see it on that picture yeah, i just showed you bit. yeah the really yeah. really pointy bit uh, kind of like a talon of an eagle or something like that but it's on the end of its bill and that's perfect for hunting so what do you imagine something like this eats frogs yep mainly fish so things like lungfish and catfish mainly as well but loads of fish pretty big fish as well uh frogs even kind of small mammals birds uh, some amphibians other amphibians as well so they're not particularly fussy but that hook means they can effectively skewer them oh and they've got a really strange way of hunting they're an actually an ambush predator so a little bit kind of like a lynx or a lion they kind of stand in wait but rather than chasing after them they thrust all of their weight downwards so they'll stand really really still like to the point where Myra Rose Craig was saying in her thing that she was watching it for 20 minutes and it literally didn't move yeah they thought it was a statue and someone yeah a prank or something yeah and then as soon as they see something they will throw all of their body weight down and kind of use that beak as a skewer and they can actually cut their food in half as they catch it or they can kind of skewer it as well so they are pretty formidable predators as well and yeah they'll take on things like water snakes and even they've been known to take small birds and young crocodiles <gasps> which is absolutely incredible there's a reason these ones are all also known as kind of like the dinosaur bird if you ever see something about oh birds that look like dinosaurs it's usually cassowaries yeah. and these guys aren't too far behind well, this is I, I they're just so bizarre looking like i feel like i only saw a photo for the first time in the last year or so and i'm not really a bird person purely i think because of how impatient i am mm-hmm. like i could not stand and wait for a bird and i really like trying to id them from sounds but because i've got such a poor memory whenever i've tried to sort of get that ingrained it goes so quickly that it's sort of hard to have it as a, a hobby yeah which is why i quite like plants because they stay there and i can look things up and pictures and stuff and i don't know it's different but like with shoe bills i am particularly interested in seeing one kind of like scarlet ibis i feel that about but i've seen those at london zoo but like i particularly like them yeah but most birds just feel the same as well these is one of the most in-demand birds to see in in africa which is why there's kind of a really big bustling ecotourism movement around it. kind of shoe bills and, and finding them and they're actually relatively kind of docile and relatively used to humans so you can actually get fairly close to them even when they're nesting on boats and things to to get a look and they won't lash out they're not particularly aggressive or anything or or kind of territorial at least to to humans so they are quite a good bird to go and see out in the wild in the natural (laughs) habitat but they are vulnerable so they're classified as vulnerable on the IUCN red list uh, mainly due to habitat loss hunting things like that there's an estimated 3,300 to 5,300 left in the wild so those numbers are pretty small pretty limited and so there's quite a big conservation movement to try and keep these guys alive and I look at a few of the different charities working with them one of the big ones I found that was really cool was African Parks which is a charity that owns several national parks African Parks are working in the Bangweulu wetlands in Zambia and they've got a whole shoebill nest protection program set it back up uh, in 20 to effectively go around and monitor all the nests of shoebills in the wetlands within that kind of park and they pay community members to employ them as guardians to protect all the shoebills and all of their nests as well so they'll be watching them on a 24-hour basis during peak nesting season so between june and november in 2022 they had 26 community members employed for up to six months at a time looking after 13 nests and all the shoebills that were using them which is kind of a fantastic example of engaging the local people in a sustainable way of looking after the wildlife as well 
of conservation is about community work and getting the local people invested in the wildlife as well. Yeah. Uh, and that sounds like a fantastic example. But they also, last year, established a captive rearing and rehabilitation facility specifically for the shoebill in these wetlands. So they work with a couple of other African charities and it was the first facility of its kind in the world. It was installed with state-of-the-art incubators, brooders, to make sure they kind of could see them straight from hatching all the way up to release and adulthood. And from what I was reading, it seemed like a quite a tricky thing because they didn't have much experience of shoebills being reared in captivity. There was only two times it had been successfully done before. One was in Florida and another one was, I think, in Europe, potentially. It was a bit of a trial run, a bit of a, a kind of tester, and they had puppets that were made by one of the guys behind the Muppets. <gasps> so oh, a, a, a shoebill puppet to help feed them because as you might know with birds they imprint on the first thing they see and if that's a human it can lead to all sorts of issues with birds thinking they're humans and not realising that they're yeah. birds and so they had this quite realistic looking shoebill puppet actually I feel to like try I've and seen feed that. With vultures and things in reintroduction programs, they are puppets because they want to be able to reintroduce these birds as birds. So they keep humans very distant and they do everything through a puppet. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so they're this amazing puppet that they were kind of helping to raise these young shoebills with, which is fantastic. Yeah. So that's one of the ones I could find that where they were specifically working with shoebills as a species mm. but there are also charities like birdlife international and wetlands international that are looking after birds and wetland habitats in general as well because wetlands all around the world are threatened by the fairly similar things about kind of human encroachment the animals there are threatened by hunting and things like that and so a lot of it's about researching those habitats and the effects of certain things on them things like i guess pesticides and stuff that get into the waterways and different agricultural practices and things like that and so wetlands international i know are working out in the wetlands over in the region that shoe bills will be found as well and in terms of why i want them in planty planty zoos it's because they are pretty rare in zoos they're not not found in any zoos so they're not quite as rare as your jaquarity bean yes murder um, bean murder bean and so there's about just shy of about 14 captivity, I believe, or at least I could I could find, including one here in the UK. Oh wow! Um, down in Exmoor Zoo. I've not been there. No, it's, take me there. I went. I want to say maybe four months before the shoebill arrived, and oh. I am annoyed. When um, did it arrive? Last year. Yeah, because I feel like I knew you when you went to Exmoor Zoo. Yeah, I went in January 2022. Yeah, so literally like two months after I met you. Yes. We should go. I want um, to go see the shoe bill. What's he called? Uh, so she is called Abu. Oh. Um, and she's a 14-year-old female. Um, so yeah, she's the only shoe bill in the UK. And I think when she arrived last year, she was something like the first shoe bill on public view in the UK for something like 40 or 50 years, I think. It's been wow. a while since she's last been able to see one, like publicly. They mm. have been kept by private holders. And she's got a lovely netted aviary down there as well. It's just her at the minute, but I, I believe they're planning to hopefully try and get a partner at some point. But it's slightly tricky because there's not too many through Europe and it's trying to shuffle them all around and make sure that yeah. we can pair them up properly. So I think she might be there on her own for a little bit, but hopefully at some point she, she might get someone else to join her as well. Mate for life. Elsewhere in, in Europe, you've only got them in Prague Zoo, Veltvogel Park, Walls Road, which is where we mentioned had the hummingbirds as well. Where, uh, what back country in, is that in? That's Germany. So we might see him if um, we do our little Germany trip. Yeah, I do want to do a nice little zoo tour of Germany. Yep. So they've got some over there and they've got some in Pyradiza as well, which I'm probably butchering the name of, which is in Belgium. 
Mm. Uh, so those are the kind of four European zoos you can currently see them in. Mm. Uh, there's two zoos that have them in the USA, Dallas World Aquarium and Zoo Tampa, and then a few in Asia as well. Cool. And yeah, they all look like they've got fairly similar enclosures, like a nice kind of grasslandy, marshlandy area with a little pool, a little pond. The ones that I've been able to have a look at don't seem to have a huge amount of water, but probably enough for them. So I want to go real immersive at Planty Planty Zoo Zoo. Mm. And I want them on a big netted aviary so we don't have to pinion them or take away their ability to fly because they can fly pretty big distances with those eight feet long wingspan. They can take off pretty much vertically and fly quite significantly. So I want to get a nice big strong netted aviary. And I want them effectively on a bit of an island Mm. or at least on a couple of sides of an island because I want to take a boat ride past (gasps) the enclosure. Yes, because I love boat rides. I know you love a boat ride. We I did the do. Chester Zoo boat ride a few cried. months back and Best moment of my life. you were incredibly happy. I don't think I even saw an animal. It doesn't matter. You don't need it when you're on a boat. And this is the thing. I feel like on quite a lot of zoo boat rides, because you're on a boat, mm. many animals don't come down to where you can actually see them from the boat. I don't think that's going to be an issue with shoe bills. That's um, true, yeah. They'll just be stood there trying to catch a frog. Exactly. We so, definitely, we should have more boats in private boat zoo and steam train. We do need a steam train going around Platy Platy Zoo. Yeah. I'll drive it. I'll be a driver. So this is the first animal I want to include as part of the boat trail of Planty Planty Zoo. Now, it it might be that we might make it African wetland-based, or it might be that we just make it wetland-based and have a few animals from a few different continents and different areas. I've not quite decided yet. We need... You know what? I think we've got enough species now that I think we should put together just a little map just a little map mm. of what we got going on so far, because this is so exciting. I can't wait for this to be real once we have a billion billionaire investor. <laughs> yep. Uh, Jeff Bezos, if you're listening. Uh, we don't have any morals. We do have lots of money we need. <laughs> a truer sentence has never been spoken. <laughs> can't afford to have morals. <laughs> we Move will. Flinging out jaquirity beans left by <laughs> the centre for the last decade of my life. <laughs> So, yeah, I want a nice boat ride on a big island with lots of kind of planted up, lots of grasslands, lots of reeds, things like that. Mm. Plenty of material for them to make like a nice aquatic nest. Mm. I probably have a couple of enclosures next to each other so we can separate them because they're quite solitary when they're not breeding. And so we can mix and match and hopefully get a breeding group of some shoebills. I love that. I'm glad we started with mine so that the ending has really lifted us up. Yeah, but I also think it's important to have a way of seeing them. So one side will be boat-based and water-based and the other side you'll have a nice indoor house with some viewing as well. So you can see them not on boats because not everybody likes boats and there is a chance they might not always be visible from that boat. Okay, I'll allow it. You know what else I want? Sorry, I just, we got to transport and this is something I'm very passionate about, Planet Planet Suzu. You know, our... I think it's Legoland. You get in a car on a rail that's high up. What are they called? Is that a monorail? A monorail. I'll do one on monorail. Going like above the lines or something. But a silent one so it doesn't disturb them. We can... We don't have lines yet. We should have a bungee jump going into like a dangerous animal. Oh my God. Natural selection. Please stop trying to kill our visitors. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm trying to bring thrill to people's lives. And lawsuits. No, we're mean. Is it because we're not real? catch me first. I'm like a whippet. So that's it. Uh, this <laughs> week I've added the shoe belt to Planty Planty Zuzu. Woo. This has been a really fun episode, except for my bit. Your <laughs> bit's been really fun. <laughs>
Come visit Plunge Plunge Zuzu in your minds next week. Yeah, as Jeff said, uh, please feel free to support us. Thank you so much for listening. We can't believe we've got six weeks in without having any major complaints against us. And if you don't want to make a complaint, but you do want to leave us a nice review, it will be really appreciated. So please feel free to leave us a review wherever you listen. Also, subscribe so you can hear when we're releasing new episodes. We try and make it every single week. Keep listening and follow us on Instagram at PlantyPlantyZuzu and Twitter at PlantyPlantyZoo. Feel free to also sign up to... Our newsletter. Yes. On plantypantyzuzu.com. And that's it. Bye. (laughs) Bye.